they did not recognize him. So for they had appointed to come together, mourn with him, comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept. Each one tore his robe, sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Job had came to a point where he had came to the junkyard of the city, where the, the trash heap of the city, where they would burn the trash. They had came to that point that he said, I can't even go to my home. I can't even go to the place. And they sat there for an entire week, night and day, on the ground, and just silence. 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 The truth in the question is, when we talk about a job of a cheerleader, a job of a cheerleader is to do what? They're supposed to encourage the team. They're supposed to encourage the crowd. They're supposed to get us going. That's the job of a cheerleader. When you think of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, now some of them might have different thoughts, but the thoughts that we should have today in church, the thoughts of the Dallas cheerleaders is the thought of, they're supposed to encourage us. They're supposed to give us a positive trend, somehow, some way. And now, that's the job of the cheerleader, right? But the cheerleader is not playing the game. They're not going to score the touchdown or, or shoot the basket or, or anything like that. Their job is to lead the cheer, to lead the encouragement for the team. They're supposed to have all the rah-rah and all that. Now, can you have bad cheerleaders? When I was uh, in middle school and elementary, then I saw our high school cheerleaders. I thought, man, one day I hope I marry one of them cheerleaders. Because they were just so gorgeous to me as a kid at, at that point in time. When I got to high school, our cheerleading squad changed up. They looked the same. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Then I looked the same. So what am I trying to say? And, and when I was playing in the game, I could never hear them. Now I could hear the crowd, and even when I coached, I couldn't hear the cheerleaders. I could hear the crowd. Now when I was in elementary, and when I was in middle school, man, I, you know, I was kind of focused on cheerleaders for one reason or another. We'll leave it there. But when looking at them, I knew, okay, we, we all in this. But I can, we didn't have the same type or same quality of cheerleader when I was coaching and when I played football. So the cheerleaders had kind of gone down a little bit. Wasn't the same type. What type of cheerleaders, what type of encouraging people do you have in your life? What type of friends do you have in your life? Do you have friends that you are in your life and you don't even know that they're there? Or do you have friends that you know will encourage you despite everything else? That they, that they are encouraging you despite the circumstances that you're going through. What type of cheerleaders do you have? Because I want to tell you something. When you look at the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, everybody know they're there. They, they're on TV. They got the game. Everything. And they don't get paid the same. But everyone knows they're there. The cheerleader may not be playing the game, but they should be at least encouraging you. Do you have friends that you can say, I can lean upon, I can have that encouragement? Do you have that? And so now, 
in chapter 3 of Job, and we're going to be going through some chapters today. Because we're not doing a chapter by chapter study, we're kind of grouping it together a little bit. In chapter 3, Job finally after this week starts talking. But he's not talking to friends, he's talking to, to different people. He's not talking to friends, he's talking to God himself. He's talking to God himself. And so, when he's talking to God, he's saying, I've been through all of this. I don't understand why I'm going through this, Lord. I lost everything. I lost my, my children. I've lost my family. I've lost my servants. I lost my wealth. And Lord, what did I do? Because this is what I want you to understand. And we're about to get into this, this uh, to the chilies. I'm going to come back to it. He had a theology that if I do good, then I will get good. Not perfect grammar, but I want to break it down real simple for us. If I do good, then Lord, I should receive good. It's kind of like when we play the lotto. We put a dollar down because we are expecting something to come back. Because I do good, I should receive good, Lord. That was his theology at the beginning of all of this. It was his friend's theology. So that's why when we get to the cheerleaders, and these are Joe's friends. Joe's friends came in, and after he talked, then they wanted to talk. So that was chapter 3, when he's voicing all this. He's saying, I, I would rather die than live like this. This is, this is too much. Because he had a certain theology. If I do good, then I should receive good. But Job's friends didn't want to stay quiet. They didn't, didn't want to let him vent. You ever had a, 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 a situation where you just wanted to vent, you didn't need somebody talking? You just wanted to say your piece, then move on about your business. Job's friends were not going to, uh, to endure the mystery of suffering. They had jumped to conclusions about the source of his problems. The first of his friends, Elphaz, acknowledged that Job had been a strength to others. You had helped other people, Job, when we get in, in, in chapter 4. You had helped other people. But he wanted Job to understand the blame of what you're going through, Job, is on you. The blame that you're going through is on you, Job. It's your fault. Because understand, his theology, his thinking about God was, just as Job, you know what? If I do good, then I should receive good. If I'm receiving evil, therefore I must have done evil to receive this. And as we go through, we're going to see how greatly mistaken this is. And so Elphaz says, think now, he says, in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 4 in Job. Think now, he says, who that was innocent ever perished? He says, who, who, who innocent do you know? has perished. Do we know any innocent people that have been released from jail? Think about that. In his theology, if you were in jail, you must have done something wrong. Have there been some people released because the DNA said, you know what, they actually did not do it. 33 people have been let out from Dallas County by itself because of that, the, because of that, that wrong that happened. Think now, he says, who that was innocent or perish. As I have seen those who plow iniquity, so trouble reap the same. 
That's LFAS theology. His second friend, friend Beldad, says much of the same. He says, God will not reject a blameless person, nor take the hand of an evildoer. Zophar says, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. Do not let weakness or wickedness reside in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your faith, faith without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. He's saying, if you get yourself together, then your life will get better. How many of us have heard this in our own lives? That when we're going through, well, well you know what, just, you know what? If, if just get yourself together, just whatever's in your life. Some of the same things that were being told to Job have been told to us. Now, in, in their view, God sent the calamities and the problems only upon wicked people. Therefore, you must be wicked. But this is something that we see uh, even amongst us today as Christians. And what we call a theology of divine karma. A theology of divine karma. And I want us as a church to understand there's no such thing as karma. Not in a practical sense as we practice it or as we talk about it. Because this is the thing. That God, it, it makes an assumption that God will bless those who are faithful to him and will only punish those who are in sin. Now this view, you can see it somewhere in the Bible, right? Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their sin. But even in that, were they simply destroyed or were they given a chance to receive grace? If you go back to that story, they were given a chance to receive grace. They were doing so much foolishness that even that, Abraham tried to even negotiate, didn't he not? He said, Lord, if it's 50, folks. He said, okay, I'll save the city. Well, then he got almost down to 10. Lord, if it's just 10 people saved in two cities, we save them. And even that, there were not even 10 people that were living according to God's word. And so they were destroyed. But, but, however, God did not always work like that, does he? Jesus himself pointed out that disaster is not always a sign of God's judgment. You can see that in Luke uh, 13, 4, it says, or those 18 that were the, at the Tower of Solomon have fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men and who dwelt in Jerusalem? When 9-11 happened, there were many people who were saying things that, you know what, because we do this, that's why 9-11 happened to us. Because we did that, that's why 9-11 happened to us. And the truth is, the honest truth is, we don't know. What we do know is the motivation of those men. We don't know why God allowed it. But many times, we're trying to what? We're trying to talk about why God allows certain things. And we don't know. We don't know. In Job's case, Job himself, as I told you, he had that theology of divine karma. That, that if, I, if I'm doing good, then I should receive good. But what they didn't know, and what we do know, that this was not some divine karma. God was letting these things happen to Job, not for some proof to, uh, to Satan, not for some kind of bet to Satan. He was allowing these things to happen to mold and refine Job to something better than he was. So Job was at this point. Job was is there. But Job's friends are making this devastating error. They are generalizing Job's situation on something they don't even know what they're talking about. You ever had somebody talk to you about your situation and they don't know what they're talking about? 
have somebody tell you about your house and they don't even have a house? You ever had somebody tell you about your man and you know they don't have no man? You ever had to tell you somebody about your children and they ain't never raised a child? See, meantime, we, we allow these folks to come and give us advice and, 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 and we listen to it and we'll move in some silly ways. There are folks in our life that have never owned a house but will tell you how they would do their house. There's some folks in our lives that have, that have had relationship and relationship fail, but it will tell you how a successful relationship should look. If you've never been through it, how do you know about it? But meantime, and don't we, we all live in a society of psychologists. Many of us have not been to school for it, but everybody is a psychologist, a doctor, and a lawyer. Well, you know, uh, uh, my experience with the law, baby, you ain't been to law school, and uh, uh, your foot hurt, maybe it is this. I took this. Baby, you ain't been to medical school. Well, now, sit down and lay down. Let's talk about your problems. Baby, you ain't been to a psychology school. What I'm trying to tell you, meantime, we are relying upon people who are not experts in the field that we want them to. But the person that's an expert in every field, we don't rely on him. And that's God Almighty. God is the ultimate lawyer. He's the ultimate doctor. He's the ultimate healer. He's the ultimate mind person to talk to. But too many times, we don't talk to him. Now, I want us to get deep in this, right? Because I want us to understand that when we get to that second point, you can have cheerleaders who can have the wrong chance. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Let me give you an illustration. So, so we got to know the cheerleaders, but you can have cheerleaders give you the wrong chance. If it is foot down and, and a foot, that's not the time that you need your side and you are on offense. You don't need your side yelling and saying, let's go get it, let's go get it. Now why is that? Because when we go and hike the ball, we need all quiet. So we don't want anybody to get outside. If it's too loud and they can't hear me do the cadence, say hut, hut. Okay? So on defense, that's great. But on offense, you want your cheerleaders to be in sync with your team. You can have a cheerleader saying, go defense, go, but we on offense, baby. Turn Romo on the field. That's not right? But you got friends that tell you the wrong chance. You have friends that you on defense, and they surely yelling by offense. Catch the ball. What are you talking about catch the ball? I need to tackle somebody. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I need to be on defense. You have friends that will tell you, baby, that was me. I need my husband. Wrong chance. Baby, if that was me, I quit that job, wrong chance. Baby, if that was, and you always had your friend, if that was me, if that was me, are they trying to empathize with you? Are they trying to sympathize with what you're going through? Or are they just telling you, you know, if, if I would do something, then that's what I would do. There was a movie that came out too long ago uh, about some lady who was trying to get married. Her sister was getting married. Her mama really forced the marriage issue upon the whole family. And so the girl, she's trying to find all her ex-boyfriends and trying to get married. Uh, 
And in this, the friend said, you know, girl, if that was me, I go to my ex-boyfriend's house and I go up to the window. I see what's going on. And so she went up to the window. She said, girl, you went up to the window? Yeah, I'm at the window. Girl, I'm just joking. Girl, you better get in the trash can. And the next thing, where are you? I'm in a trash can. Girl, you in a trash can? You see, she said, I'm not living that life, but I'm surprised you're going to live that life and you're going to follow what I say. So she was in the dumpster. She was outside. She was at, at the middle of the night. Could have got arrested because she was following someone's advice who did not know her real circumstances. How many of us have taken some actions when some folks don't know our real circumstances? How many of us have taken some action and we didn't go into prayer? And I want us to focus back. When you go through this study, there's not going to be one time that Joe's friends and him prayed together. There's not going to be one time that Joe's friends, Elphaz, Beldad, and so forth, they're not going to say, well, let us end in a time of prayer. Lord, please show us the way. There's not going to be one time you're going to find that in this. Job is talking to God, but his friends are not talking to God with him. If you have a friend that their first action is to talk to you about the situation and never to pray about it, you might need to watch out about the advice. And why, because advice is coming from somewhere. Many times we get advice and, and, and it's not the right thing. So many times when we see a friend who's going through something, we want to say something, don't we? We feel an urge to say something. We have to say something. There's times where it's good to be quiet, and there's also times good to talk, and, and more importantly, it's great to go uh, to the Lord. But have we not come in those cliches? Well, you know, it's a part of God's plan. It's a part of God's plan. Well, you know, God never sends a, uh, more on you than you can handle. How we not heard that? At times, how we may not even said that. We put on a Kurt Franklin song, and the song is almost over now. And, or, or more than you can bear. And that makes us feel good, but when we get in our word, it may not reflect that. Because in my first semester in college, a friend of mine, and I think I've shared it before, it was November of that first semester. She was raped. You think that was more than she could bear? She wanted to kill herself. You think that was more than she could bear? Her friends all had abandoned her. Said it was your fault. You shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have worn that dress. She was abandoned. Her mother said, why were you there? She found no comfort. You think that was more than she could bear? When you get into that scripture, it's not about what you can bear. It's about what God can bear for you. Because how many of us can bear losing a job and, and being named paycheck to paycheck, but you crumb to crumb? That's hard to bear. But God himself says, I'm the one who's lifting the world up off your shoulders. It's not you. It's not you that's bearing the, the pain and the agony. It's me. What you think you're going through, I'm holding up more than you think that you are going through. I'm the one who's lifting the burdens off your shoulders. I'm the one who's taking care of the pain and the anguish and the frustration. I'm the one that if you have worries, you can give it to me. He says if you are in this struggle, you can cast your, your fears and your worries upon me. He says by my stripes you are healed. He says I will renew your strength. 
He talks about then we can mount up with wings as eagles. It is Christ. He says, I was in a mire pit, and you put me what? On the solid rock. It's Christ Jesus. Amen. That's why it says, yes, you can carry more than you think you can bear because I'm bearing it all. And so, through this, we have to understand we have to seek the Lord. Eventually, Joe's friends started questioning him. What did you do wrong? Because they got to go back to that theology, that divine karma. You must have done something wrong because God wouldn't punch you like this if you didn't do something wrong. Have we not done that ourselves? I, I must have lost because I did something wrong. I must not have this job because I done something wrong. And I'm not going to tell you there are certain jobs and certain places that because if I go and slap my wife upside the head and she put me out, it's because I slapped her upside the head. I think, it's, I think it's real clear. Real clear. All right? But there are things that are out of your control. Uh, I was talking to a friend uh, about Barack Obama, and he said, I want to do what Barack did. I said, I understand. But there were some things outside of that race for Barack Obama that came into play. There was the arrogance of Hillary Clinton. Barack was working hard. Hillary had arrogance. She didn't work as hard. There was John McCain picking a silly person and Sarah Palin and getting destroyed. That helped him. Now, that's what I'm trying to say. Barack didn't control who he picked. Barack didn't control the arrogance of Hillary. Barack didn't control the economy. But those things came into play. Many times, that would frustrate us. Can I control it all? No, you cannot. There are things that are going to happen. If your boss at your job is stealing money, it's more than likely, like just for feet, y'all remember that? The just for feet, uh, there was just like a, a footlocker. Just for feet was right there on Central. And you know what happened? The CEO was stealing money. Everybody lost their job. What did they do wrong? Nothing. This man on top of them was stealing money. They did nothing wrong. There are things out of your control that things happen. Things happen. And that's not something that means it's bad, but understand this. In all of it, God is still in control. If you didn't get the promotion at job, that means God says, I didn't have that for you. If you're going to lose a job, God is saying, I have time for you not to move on. If God says, we're closing the doors here, God is saying, we're going to have church somewhere else. God is not saying that it's all over. Too many times we're getting this all over business. Oh, Lord, woe is me. I can't find another job. No, doors will open when God says to open them. Because he is in control of your life, not man. I don't care what Mayor Mike does or Barack Obama or anybody else. If God has not had that in a plan for me, then it's not going to happen. And if God does have that in a plan for me, it's going to happen. And this is the root of it. God is saying for me and for you, I have your best interests at heart. If you're in a job that you hate, he's saying, I got you there for a reason. But it's hard because we have to change our theology. Our theology can't be about prosperity. Our theology can't be about if, if I just study my word, if I just pray, if I just go to church, then God's going to reward me. It can't be like that. Because there's going to be some times your heart is going to be broken. There's a, 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 a mentor of mine whose wife died at 50. He's now almost 60-something years old trying to raise a teenage daughter by himself. That was God's plan for his family. 
I cannot tell you why God did that. But I can tell you God is still in the midst of it. It's not always we need to understand the why. We need to know who the player involved in it. That's what we need to know. That God still has us. I cannot tell you why some people have cancer and some people don't. I cannot tell you why that. But what I can tell you, we must seek the Lord. We must seek the Lord. So we go into our last standpoint. The game is changing. Job's theology started to change. Now I want you to understand this. Many of us, and we can go all the way back, right? The drug dealers in our neighborhood look like they make it. Don't, am, am I lying to somebody today? When you, when you know you done been to work and your back has been broken and you done had to fuss with whomever at your job and they done told you whatever at your job and you really want to tell the business but you could not because you knew you need that paycheck and you saw this drug dealer and you look at how does he have a Monte, a Monte Carlo <laughs> clean leather drop top rims and all these ladies and he looking stress free how and he on a Friday and he like man you, and he got a nice wide I look at mine I can't even help nobody with change but he can like do you need change I got change if you need a turkey for Thanksgiving he got turkeys you say can I have one but God is telling us, and we can look in, into Psalms, and Psalm 73, uh, verse 3 and 4, it says, For I was envious of the boastful, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there were no pains in their death, for their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Doesn't that hurt you when, when you get stopped by the police for your inspection sticker, but you know the drug dealer next door to you, and the police don't say nothing. It hurts your feelings. But that's when the, the psalmist got here and said in verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Verse 17, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. See, when I got in the presence of the Lord, I understood this life is temporary. And I never seen no old time drug dealer. That's why I tell the young men today. If you want to sell drugs, I never seen an old time drug dealer. I don't know any drug dealer that's on pension. I don't know any drug dealer that got a retirement plan. I don't know any drug dealer. All the drug dealers I know are young. And they're young and lifetime dumb. I never seen a 90 year old drug dealer on the corner talking about drop top, let's get it going. Never seen it. And, and if you've seen one, you should see about 20 if it's really going to happen. Like a real retirement plan. Have not seen it. Have not seen it. So the wicked, it comes to them. They may look prosperous now. But understand in the end, it's going to come to them. But this is the other thing. See, when your theology changes like Job, so Job's going from a prosperity theology to a theology that God has my best interests at heart. No matter what I go through. He's changing his theology. Now he has a theology of, okay, so the wicked, they don't get punished right then and there? No. The wicked, if God give us what we deserve, we all be dead. But God is saying, I allow the wicked to look prosperous at times because I'm giving them some time to try to get their mind right and get their life right with me. I'm giving them some grace so they can come and see me. Because if I dealt with them right then and there, then, of course, the wicked is gone. 
for all of us to be gone because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we all have been there. We all have received grace. I know many times we look at folks and you're like, man, they hustling the system. They doing this, they doing that. And God is saying, I understand they're hustling today, but you are planting treasures and seeds for the kingdom right now. And it will prosper on the other side. It will prosper in a mighty fruit on the other side. And so when we get to this point, Job got to a point in his life and he understood. He understood this and he said, you know what? Instead of me trying to blame you, God, I just want to learn from you, Lord. Instead of you, instead of me saying, why is me? Lord, I'm saying, Lord, what can you do with me? He came to a point, he said, when God has tested me, I should come out like gold. What he's saying, gold has to go through fire to refine it. He says, God is testing me. He's putting me through a fire. Many times I use the analogy that diamonds don't come out like diamonds. Diamonds start out like dirty, black, dusty, nasty coal. But that coal has to go through some pressure. It has to go through some fire. And the pressure it has to go through is immense. It is immense. It is trouble. But that pressure then makes a diamond. And even when you have a diamond, with that diamond, you still got to cut it. And then with that diamond, you still got to polish it for it to be true value. God is trying to take our simple, jacked up life and say, if you accept my son, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I start doing some pressure techniques in your life. You might go to a pressure where you might lose your job. You might go to a pressure where some man got to leave your face. You might go through some pressure where all your friends have left you. You might go through some pressure where the pregnancy seems to be in trouble. You might go through some pressure where you got a job, but everybody at the job talking about you, talking about you like you a dog. You might go through some pressure where your family don't have your side. You might go through some pressure where your friends who were supposed to be your friends are the same folks gossiping about you. You might go through some pressure, but God is saying, I'm the one who's taking you, allowing you to go through the pressure so on this side, you can be a diamond. And then when I got that diamond, God says, I want to start cutting. I'm going to cut that man at your life. He ain't about nothing but being sorry. I'm going to cut that sorry woman at your life. She ain't about being nothing but sorry. I'm going to cut that job that you did not need and I'm ready to give you a promotion. I'm going to cut that at your life. I'm going to cut all these thoughts about I can't do this and that and I'm going to get into your life and say you can do all things through me. I'm going to do, I'm going to say you're more than a conqueror through me. I'm I'm gonna take all of this. I'm gonna cut it. And then he's gonna say, I'm gonna polish you. Because when I polish you, I'm getting you ready for the kingdom of heaven. And when I polish you, I'm getting you ready for an eternity with me. I'm getting you ready for eternity where you can put your hand in my son's hand and see him stretch down and see what he did for you. That's what I'm doing. So Joe was going through this. Job and God has allowed us to see this. God has said, what Job went through, I know you've been through it. I know some of us have lost siblings, parents, friends. Some of us have lost jobs. We have done nothing. And God is saying, I'm still in the midst. I'm still right here with you. I'm still right here when you want to cry. I'm still right here when you can't call anybody else, call me. And if you can't call anybody else, call me first. 
Let me be your first person. Let me be your 911 call. Let me be your call. And God is saying to us, I'm open every day, not just on Sunday. I'm open every day, not just 9 to 5. I'm open every day, 24-7. And when you call me, like I had called my mama one time in the midnight hour, she sounded groggy. Well, you know what, the Lord, if I had to call him at 2 a.m. in the morning, he not groggy. If I had to call him at 5 o'clock, he not groggy. If I had to call him at 6 p.m., he not busy. If I had to call him at 7 p.m., he, he might be dealing with other things, but he can still deal with me. If I had to call him at noontime, when not everybody at the job don't want to have lunch with me because they're acting so ugly, I still can call on the Lord. And he says, I'm still giving out love licks right now. I'm still with you right now. I still have Jesus in my life. I still have a God that does not slumber nor sleep. I still I still have a God that's all-powerful. I still have my Lord. So what I'm telling you today, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your pro Savior, this should be the day that you accept the Lord as your Savior. If you have not a church home, I, I told you victory is not about building a big old building. We, we, we want to do that one day. That's cool. But we want to build people for God's name. For his glory. And lastly, if you're saying, Pastor, I've been struggling. I, I, I've been bitter. I've been broken. I have wanted to give up. I want you to understand Job was right there. If you're saying you lost a child, Job was right there. If you're saying your marriage is struggling, Job was right there. If you're saying you lost your job, Job was right there. If you're saying you don't understand, Job was right there. If you're saying I am tired of it all, Lord, Job was right there. And in the end, God said, I'm still here too. The doors of the church are open. Amen.